You are listening to the weekly sermon from the Canton United Methodist Church in Canton, South Dakota. We're a church that strives to make disciples of Jesus Christ who make a difference. To learn more, visit us at cantonsdumc.org. And now, here's Pastor Clay. To honor all copyright restrictions, certain elements have been edited out of this message. Our first scripture reading this morning comes to us from the book of Isaiah in chapter 41. I'll be reading verses 1 through 10 of Isaiah's words of prophecy, and that's found on page 781 of your pew Bibles if you'd like to follow along with today's reading. God says, Be silent and listen to me, you distant lands. Get ready to present your case in court. You will have your chance to speak. Let us come together to decide who is right. And these are the words of God. Who is it that brought the conqueror from the east and makes him triumphant wherever he goes? Who gives him victory over kings and nations? His sword strikes them down as if they were dust. His arrows scatter them like the straw before the wind. He follows in pursuit and marches safely on, so fast that he hardly touches the ground. Who was it that made this happen? Who has determined the course of history? I, the Lord, was there at the beginning, and I, the Lord, will be there at the end. The people of distant lands have seen what I have done. They are frightened and they tremble with fear, so they assemble and come. The craftsmen help and encourage each other. The carpenter says to the goldsmith, well done. The man who beats the idol smooth encourages the one who nails it together, and they all say the soldering is good, and they fasten the idol in place with nails. But you, Israel, my servant, you are the people that I have chosen, the descendants of Abraham, my friend. I brought you from the ends of the earth. I called you from its farthest corners and said to you, you are my servant. I did not reject you, but I chose you. And so do not be afraid, for I am with you. I am your God. Let nothing terrify you. I will make you strong and help you. I will protect you and save you. And then from Psalm chapter 56, verses 3 and 4, David the psalmist says, When I am afraid, O Lord Almighty, I put my trust in you. I trust in God and am not afraid. I praise him for what he has promised. What can a mere human being do to me? The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? Holy and gracious God, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be holy and acceptable to you. For you, O God, are our rock, and you are our Redeemer. And we give you thanks for who you are as we say together, Amen. So a favorite book in our house at the time comes to us from the author Mo Willems, and it's called The Pigeon Has to Go to School. In the book, the pigeon is facing an existential crisis because he is facing the specter of having to go to school. And to put it mildly, he has some concerns. In fact, the pigeon is so concerned that even before you start reading the book, the pigeon is telling you not to even read the title of the book. The pigeon has to go to school. And as the story unfolds, we learn some of the concerns that the pigeon has. Some of those concerns we might expect. Others of them are like Dr. Bender and the ketchup, then we don't even see them coming. 
During the book, we learn that the pigeon is afraid that he will not like school. Fair. The pigeon's also afraid that he's going to learn so much that his head was going to pop off. The pigeon is also afraid that the teacher will not like not just him, but all pigeons in general. What if the pigeon doesn't, what if the teacher doesn't like pigeons? Not just me, but all of us. He further devolves into an anxiety to the point where one of my favorite pages happens, and I found a recording of it to show us to, to hear this story together this morning. The unknown stresses me out, dude. That I've uh, taken a, a picture of that one pigeon where he's kind of shaking there, and that was my phone, uh, a phone um, wallpaper for quite some time because it's true. The unknown stresses us out. And I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but for some of us, we're about to be in the same position as the pigeon. We are heading back to school. Some of us maybe for the first time in a long time. Others of us are just nervous about all that is ahead of us. It may be that we're starting at a new school. It may be that we have a new-to-us teacher. We might be parents or grandparents and our youngest are heading off to college. Or maybe one of our children or grandchildren are becoming a student for the very first time. No matter how we find ourselves this season of life, these waning moments of summer are filled with that same anxious anxiety, that same excitement that the pigeon is feeling. And I think we can all safely confess that the unknown stresses us out, dude. Right? I'm not alone in this, right? Or maybe the pigeon is important because it highlights an even bigger truth. And that bigger truth being that fear is for all of us. None of us are immune to fear. No matter what age or stage of life we find ourselves in, no matter where we find ourselves, fear and anxiety are universal experiences. It doesn't matter if we are male or female. It doesn't matter if we are rich or poor. It doesn't matter if we are old or young Fear is immune to our demographics. And we all have those things that we're afraid of. Some of us have trivial fears. For me, it's snakes. Others of us are afraid of heights or spiders or clowns or the dark. But then there are those profound fears, like that we're not going to have enough to cover our bills at the end of the month. Or we're not going to have enough put into a pension or a 401k to safely retire. We're afraid of having our identity stolen or falling victim to a scam. Or we're afraid of being alone. Fear is powerful. Fear is powerful. And even more than that, fear is hardwired into our anatomy. There's a segment in your brain called the amygdala, and when you encounter something that you are afraid of, it is the amygdala that creates a cascade of physiological effects designed to keep you safe. When we are confronted with something that we are afraid of, our hearts begin to race. 
our breath begins to quicken and become more shallow, our mouth gets dry, our muscles tense, and these are all automatic responses that your body has because of the amygdala that are designed to help you survive when you are confronted with something to which you are afraid. And what makes this entire business even more difficult is that fear is sometimes beneficial. Fear is sometimes a good thing. There are things in our life that are worth fearing. And it affects our behavior. We have a fear of grave bodily harm. And so we take precautions in order to make things safer. We have a fear of falling to our death off of a cliff. And so we avoid the very edge of the cliff, I hope. We have a fear of having fast-moving objects move towards us, and we have a a reflex that makes us duck. We have a fear of losing everything, and so we buy insurance. And sometimes we fear something so much that it makes us say something to the person next to us so that they don't find their own amygdalas triggered and their own automatic responses to coming up. When we are at high alert, we warn people around us. It is into this fear, this healthy and appropriate fear, it is into this fear that, is, that Isaiah speaks. Because Isaiah was called to be a prophet by God at two very pivotal moments in Israel's history. The first is when Isaiah was called as a prophet. At first, his task was to warn the people of God of what could happen if they were to not repent from following the opposite of God's ways. If they were going to continue living life as they were living it, there were going to be consequences to their actions. And rather than just letting them face the consequences, God, in His grace, raised up prophets to proclaim repentance, to proclaim justice to the people of God. And by this point in Israel's history, they have a long story of following God and an equally long story of not following God. And when Isaiah is raised up to be a prophet, Israel finds itself in an extended season of unfaithful living. And Isaiah was raised up as a prophet not to just tell the people of God that there was no hope, the opposite's what's actually happening. Isaiah was called to be a prophet to the people of God to say that it was not too late to repent and return to a life of right living. He tried. Unfortunately, that was not to be. And what ends up happening is that Israel ends up in exile in Babylon. And while that may seem like the end of the story, Isaiah's prophetic ministry really gets going after that. Because in the second part of Isaiah's prophetic ministry, which is where we get our scripture for this morning from, Isaiah is called to help Israel hold on to its faith when putting their faith and trust in God didn't seem to make much sense. Because the people of God had been through it by this point. 
And because of the things that they had suffered through their own choices, but sometimes we don't always see that, through the things that they have suffered and the atrocities that they experienced, perhaps they could have developed a fear of the Lord. And like, not in a good way. The people of God could have been through everything that they, were, they, that they had gone through and developed a fear of the Lord that triggered their amygdala and the physiological effects of actual fear. When we properly and appropriately fear the Lord, we have an awe and a reverence and a respect for God. That's what we were hoping for. That's what Isaiah is hoping for. Isaiah is hoping to bring the people of God back to a proper fear of the Lord. And so Isaiah's words, inspired by the very heart of God, were words designed to remind God's people that God was still with them. To warn them not to fall into idolatry. Because that could have been the end result. In verses 6, 7, and 8 in our scripture this morning, Isaiah points out that artisans and goldsmiths and skilled workers and carpenters have come together and they have made an idol and they've called it good and they've fastened it together and they've fastened it to the ground so that it cannot move. But then Isaiah says, we serve a God who called very creation into being. We serve a God that brought us together as a people. The rest of Isaiah's words show them that God is the one who really cannot be moved and that those idols are nothing. The rest of Isaiah's words show the people of God exactly who God is. God is the creator. God is the protector. God is the victor. God is the sovereign over the very ends of the earth. And when the people of God are facing fear, when the people of God are facing the unknown, when the people of God feel abandoned in their anxieties, they only need to do one thing. The people of God need to turn to God and not idols. They need to turn to God and not trust in their own strength. They do not have to go all the way back to the drawing board to figure out what life looks like now. They only need to put their trust in God even now. They need to remember words that were spoken generations earlier by their great King David, who said, When I am afraid, O Lord Almighty, I put my trust in you. I trust in God and I am not afraid. I praise him for what he has promised. What can a mere human being do to me? Even in the unknown, even in their servitude, even then, God is with them, and God will not be moved. These words that Isaiah spoke over the people of God are a part of a grand tradition in the testimony of Scripture. In all of Scripture, there are 400 verses that deal with the idea of fear. 
And of those 400, 150 of them include some version of the words, do not be afraid. Does God care when we're afraid? You bet God does. God cares so much that the authors of Scripture wrote 150 different times, do not be afraid. The problem is, is that just being told to be afraid doesn't make us any less afraid. Just being told to be unafraid does not make us any more brave. Cognitively telling our amygdala in our brain that the dead snake on the side of the road does not require our bodies to go into a full meltdown doesn't stop our bodies from going into a full meltdown. I'm afraid of snakes. That's happened to me before. The unknown stresses us out. And like Israel, we can attempt to put our trust in all kinds of different stuff, in all kinds of different places. We as humans have the opportunity and we have the ability to try and fake it until we make it. We can attempt to hide behind knowledge and credentials, which is my playbook. We can do things like expose ourselves to our fears until they are no longer something that we're afraid of. But friends, the only way to confront fear in such a way that it can be overcome, the only way to confront fear in such a way that it is overcome is to turn to God, to turn to God alone, to hear these words of God for God's people saying, do not be afraid for I am with you, I am your God, let nothing terrify you. Whether we are facing school, whether we are facing a barn spider, whether we are facing a big speech at work, whether we are facing flying for the first time and maybe the first time in a long time, whatever it is that we must confront, we can take solace, we can take heart, we can draw strength from the fact that God is with us. Would you pray with me? Holy and loving God, we give you thanks for the reality of our lives and the truth of your word that reminds us that you are with us in the midst of all things. There is stuff in life that we are afraid of. There is stuff in life that we is worth being afraid of. Help us in those moments of anxiety. Help us in those moments of fear to really and truly turn to you to know that you are our refuge and strength and help us to feel your supportive and loving arms wrapped around us, helping us bear the burden of our fear. Let us live to your glory, and let us live unafraid, for you are with us. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's sermon from the Canton United Methodist Church. Join us in person or online at 10 o'clock every Sunday morning for worship. And now go in peace and serve the Lord. I want to encourage you after the message to head over to our YouTube channel and click the subscribe button. Over on YouTube, you will find videos of our entire worship service, a video cast of our weekly Cut for Time conversation with Pastor Clay and Eric, 
songs from our praise band One Way Up, and a bunch of other great things as well. Just search for Canton United Methodist Church. It would mean a lot to have you subscribe. <laughs>